In the early 1800s, they estimate that over 900,000 Norwegians emigrated to the United States. It was a long and difficult process. The early ships before steamships came around it took about four months to cross the open seas. Months of planning went into these trips. It wasn't like a, like a cruise ship where everything is all-inclusive. Uh, here you actually had to buy your margaritas. No, everything had to be taken with them. Everything had to be planned in advance. They had to pack everything, food, supplies, bedding, uh, everything needed for that four-month trip. They were set apart from their homeland back in Europe, but they hadn't yet arrived at their new home. They were what we would call a sojourner. And you sang about that in the hymn. And to show this, they would actually put the flag of the nation that they were coming from in the back or the rear, the, the stern of the ship, and then the flag of the nation to which they were going on the front or the bow. And I'd like you to imagine that you were one of those early Norwegian immigrants. And maybe you've got family waiting for you in the new world. You've never seen it. Uh, you've only ever heard reports about how, how great it is from some distant relatives of yours that are already there. And that's it. Uh, and maybe you've only read about at least what's not there. Um, like there's no famine where you are now. And based solely on that, based solely on what you read, you are going to put yourself and your kids in harm's way for an extended period of time. Uh, and the minute you step on that ship, you are leaving your job and your rank, your position, your, your, your vocation, everything behind. And you become the same as everyone else on that ship, a sojourner. And you're going to separate yourself uh, from your family and friends and, and maybe never see them again. You are leaving everything behind to go to this new promised land. The Bible describes us as sojourners on our way to heaven. In fact, most church buildings, including ours, are designed with the roof line to be reminiscent of a ship for this very reason. In fact, the place that you are sitting now is called the nave, after naval or navy. We even have the flag of our country in the back of our sanctuary. And, and technically, there is no Christian flag, but our flag is Christ. It's a sign of the cross, the crucified Christ hanging on the tree, the risen Christ calling you home. But we've never seen the promised land. We've never seen heaven. We've merely read about it from, from letters from some distant church fathers long ago. And only then, it's mainly been about what, what, what isn't in heaven. There is no mourning, no sorrow, no hunger, no thirst, no lacking of anything, no war, no persecution. And based simply on that word alone, we are en route to heaven. And really, it isn't anything that, that we've done or decided. The moment that God baptized us uh, through the waters of holy baptism, He set us apart and He placed us on this ship of His holy church. And so now we live in this really awkward reality where we are, where we are in the world, but we're not really a part of the world. 
In fact, when you enter the doors of the sanctuary, you leave your worldly vocation outside. It doesn't matter whether you are a salesman or a farmer or a soldier. You could be a king or the president of a country, or you could be a servant. You could be a five-star general, or you could be a private. It doesn't matter if you are 80 years old or eight months old. When you come into the walls of the sanctuary, you are just like everyone else, all the other sojourners. In this sanctuary, we are all equal before God. Yes, with different gifts and abilities, but, but all one in the sight of God. But while we are part of this ship, we have to struggle with many different things. Not only do we have to face the, the raging waters of the world, the persecution that constantly attacks the church, we have to navigate the, the changing tides of culture, where, where good is called evil and evil is called good. We have to deal with things like sickness and death on this ship. We have to suffer with the loneliness that, that comes with losing a family member or friend while we are still en route to our destination. We have to suffer with things like mental illnesses, with depression, with anxiety, with guilt, with PTSD over what we've experienced out in the world. And we even have to contend with problems inside this ship, inside this church. Because this, this part of the church, at least, isn't in heaven yet. Which means that it's filled with imperfect sinners. Imperfect sinners who have disagreements. And, and because they are all part of this one church, the arguments and disagreements that, that take place here seem to sting more than the ones that take place outside. Our gospel lesson today was what is commonly known as the Beatitudes, the blessed statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the peacemakers. We tend to read this as a to-do list. That if we do this and this and this and have this and this attitude, then we'll get this and this and this and this. And so we end up judging the church and our fellow sojourners according to this list. And maybe we even elevate some more than others. And, and maybe we call them saints. But then we, we look around and we see that well, most people in this ship, we don't view them as saints. In fact, maybe we view them as lower than, than we are. And unfortunately, some, after seeing the problems, even inside the church, will come to the conclusion that, that, they'd, be, that they'd be better off on their own. So they jump ship and go at it alone with, with nothing but themselves and their own thoughts. They expected the church to be filled with saints, but instead all they found were sinners. And I think I need to clear up some confusion as to what a saint is, what the word saint means. Most people think that the word saint means someone who is perfect. But it can't mean that, because the Bible doesn't use that term for perfect people. There were no perfect people except one, Christ. 
The Bible calls regular sinners, those who are part of the church, saints. It, and it doesn't elevate. The word saint comes from the Latin word sanctus, which simply means holy. You sing the sanctus, holy, holy, holy. The word holy means set apart, set apart by God and for God. We call the Bible the Holy Bible because it's not like other books. It's set apart by God and for God. It's His holy word. We call baptism holy baptism because it's not like regular water. Uh, but this water combined with God's holy word uh, does something. It's holy baptism. We call the Lord's Supper holy communion because it isn't just a regular meal of remembrance. It's Christ's holy body and blood that actually does something. We call our church the sanctuary, the holy place. Saints are those people whom God has set apart. On this day, we are observing All Saints Day. It's a tradition that goes back to at least uh, less than 300 years after Jesus in the 4th century. And on All Saints Sunday, we are giving thanks to God, particularly for those sojourners that were no different than us, who have already made it to heaven. St. John in Revelation records their arrival. I read it earlier. After these things I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing in front of the throne and of the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They called out with a loud voice and said, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. This is what God promises you too when you reach heaven with all your fellow Christians who have been set apart by the blood of Jesus, who left everything in this world and gained the crown of victory. But notice that there is no difference between those saints in heaven and you who, who sit in this ship of the church today. That's why Jesus spoke the Beatitudes, not as a to-do list, but as a list of blessings. That's why it's called the Beatitudes, not as law, but as gospel, as comfort. Because blessed are you who are poor in spirit in this world, you who are tired and exhausted by your struggle with sin and the pain and suffering of your everyday existence, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You who mourn, who have wept over the, the grief that sin has brought death into the world, you will be comforted because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who have lived a life so filthy with sin that you can hardly bear it, who long to be pure, you will be filled because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You who are persecuted here for Jesus' sake because he has been persecuted and killed for you, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. God has made you a saint. He set you apart through the waters of holy baptism in which he clothes you with Jesus' pure robe of righteousness and he makes you a part of his holy church. 
And in this holy church, He daily and richly forgives you all your sins. He feeds and sustains you with His holy body and blood. Because this is the only food, the only food that will sustain you on your long and difficult journey to the shores of heaven. Through these holy means, you possess heaven already, even though you can't see it yet. Even though you don't have it in all its fullness yet, you possess it now through these holy means. I've used this illustration before, but in my, my previous congregation in northern Minnesota, the communion rail was uh, in a semicircle around the altar. And it might just seem like a, a, a stylistic design choice at first. Uh, but in, in many churches, the cemetery, the church cemetery, is right out back on the east-facing wall of the church. It wasn't mine. Ours was a few blocks away. Uh, but there, if the cemetery is right out back, the gravestones would be arranged in a semicircle on the opposite wall. And so in those churches, the saints at the communion rail would complete a circle, a full circle with the saints who have communed there in the past and who are now communing with their Lord Jesus in heaven. In fact, you confess this. You confess this reality whenever you say, I believe in the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. When you commune this morning, you will be communing at the heavenly banquet of all the saints in heaven that Isaiah prophesied in the Old Testament lesson. You can't see it, but you are. The Lord's Supper is not only a, a thing to point us back to Jesus' sacrifice, but it points us forward to the banquet of heaven. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. God's holy church, God's holy church on earth is filled with sinners for as long as they are on the journey to heaven. But they are sinners who have been set apart and made saints not by their work, but by Jesus. By Jesus uniting himself to them through these holy means. If you have suffered problems out in the world, if you have faced the terrors of your own guilty conscience, if you are plagued with a thought of sin and evil, know that there is no better or safer place for you to be than right here in God's house the sanctuary, the, this holy place, this, this ship set apart from the world and gathered together with all your fellow sojourners and saints around God's means of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen.